Good to see all of you tonight. Can you believe it? Our last night in Revelation. There you go. Hey, I, I just want to say, and I don't say it enough, you guys are just such a special group of people. And just the way, you know, you guys just were so expressing, you know, the fact that you were going to be praying and thinking about everything today. And, and I know Dave and Scott really appreciated it. I talked to Dave a few minutes before Bible study tonight, and he said that they absolutely felt those prayers and just felt such a peace going in. And again, you know, this is all in God's hand. This is not in our hands at all, and we're just going to let God be God and let Him do what He wants to do. And uh, so anyway, when we, let, when we know anything, we'll let you know. Uh, but we'll just keep praying until uh, some official response comes back from, from the folks that own that, that land over there. Um, so it's hard to believe, 22 weeks later, and we are at the end of Revelation. And as I share that, I just want to remind all of you, uh, and I will do this now for the next couple of weeks on Sunday as well, so that I can try to get everybody. And I'm going to ask, too, for your help in getting the word out to others that you may know that normally come on Tuesday night. Because we have tonight, the 10th, then we have next Tuesday, the 17th, then we have the 24th of June, but then that is it until the 29th of July. So we are off the 1st of July, we are off the 8th of July, we are off the 15th of July, we are off the 22nd of July. So the last Tuesday night, before we take a month-long break, is June 24th. So just a reminder about that. And next week, I hope you'll come back for these last couple of weeks, because we're going to be in the book of Exodus, looking at a really interesting passage of Scripture that I think will bless your heart. Um, if you can hang in there with me just a couple more weeks after tonight. Then when we come back in July, on July the 29th, we're going to start a new series in the book of Acts. And we're just going to, just like we did with Revelation, take a, a chapter a week and go through the book of Acts. Lisa, if I forget, uh, I want to make that announcement at the end tonight as well, so if you remind me about that. So I have one other announcement, but I'm going to wait to the end of Bible study to do that with. So tonight, we come to the end of the book of Revelation, and, and here's how I want to sort of organize this great chapter. I'm going to give you tonight, especially for those of you that take notes or whatever, I'm going to give you 15 words, and these 15 words are going to basically summarize what John is laying out for us in this last great chapter of Revelation chapter 22. These 15 words will correspond with these verses we're going to look at tonight, but they will be words that hopefully you can, can sort of call to remembrance and help you to remember the concepts, the principles, the truths that are being taught in these last 21 verses of this great book. And again, these are the last words of God to man in His Word. It's been said that last words are lasting words. And therefore, these words really, like all of God's word, hold very much weight and should hold very much weight in our lives. 
I want to start off in the first couple of verses looking at provision. That's the first key word, provision. I want you to see tonight that even in the eternal state, even in heaven, even in the unending kingdom, God is going to abundantly supply a a great provision for His people throughout eternity. This is illustrated for us here by the water of life and the tree of life. Notice, the angel showed me the river of the water of life. And remember, the word life here means life that belongs to God. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. It was as clear as crystal. Notice where it was coming from. It was pouring out. It was flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 2, flowing down the middle of the city's main street. On each side of the river is the tree of life belonging to God. Producing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month of the year. Its leaves are for the healing or the restoration of the nations. I want you to notice here. In these first couple of verses, the focus is on the abundant provision that God is giving in the water of life and in the tree of life. Also notice something very interesting, that even in the eternal unending state, God still marks time for us. Even though there will be no time necessarily, and it's not like we're going to be guided by watches and clocks and all of that like we are today, that you'll notice in verse 2 that the fruit that is being produced by these trees are on a schedule every month of the year. So even though... We're not going to have to worry about time. In order to sort of organize, if you will, eternity, God is still going to place us sort of within time, even though He's always outside of time as well. And you'll notice something else here, that obviously these couple of verses remind us of of some truths about the eternal state that other passages talk about as well. And that is, even though we won't have to eat, we will eat. Even though we don't have to eat to sustain ourselves or stay alive. And you all here at the Oasis, we are getting in good practice for that one, right? I can only imagine what the fruit, though, off of this tree of life is going to taste like and what it's going to be like. But the point I want to make is this. Notice something. God doesn't cease providing for His people even throughout eternity. This water of life, clear as crystal, the the tree of life. And notice it's sort of at the very end of the Bible, we go all the way full circle back from Revelation 22, all the way in a sense back to Genesis to the garden. Because that's exactly sort of what he's describing here again, is this beautiful environment, this beautiful garden where God can have intimate fellowship with his people and where there can be this wonderful provision. Now, based upon this provision, it brings me to the second word I see here, and that is the word dependence. Because I want you to note something here that sometimes as Christians we don't even think about or realize, and that is this. Even in the eternal state... Even in this place of perfection, if you will, we are always going to be dependent on God. We never cease to be dependent on God even when everything is perfect and we're glorified. Our source is still in God. In fact, that's clear here whenever it talks about the fact that this water of life is coming from where? It's coming from the throne of God. In other words, God is the source. 
And, and everything that we even get and receive throughout eternity is coming from Him. We are still having to be dependent on Him. There's never a time in our existence, even in eternity, where we cease to be dependent on God, you see. We will always have to look to Him, even throughout eternity. And so, not only is provision taught here, but dependence is taught here as well. And then third, I see purpose in these verses. Notice in verse 3, there will no longer be any curse. We talked about the perfection and glory of the eternal state. The throne of God, verse 3, and the Lamb will be in the city. Notice, His servants will worship Him. That's part of our eternal purpose. Provision, dependence, and purpose. And, and I want you to note something here because we've talked about worship throughout this book of, of uh, Revelation. That's what this is all about. And there's different ways to worship God. This word in the Greek language, letruo, speaks of priestly service. And so John is reminding us that we will worship God in one aspect through serving Him throughout eternity. Worship through Service. We can worship God in many different ways. This word, though, speaks about worshiping Him through serving Him. Notice, we will see His face. We can't see His face right now. And, and even if we did, we couldn't stand it. Because we're not in that glorified state. But when we get to that glorified state, God will permit us in that state to actually be able to behold and gaze at the face of God. And then it says his name will be on their foreheads. This speaks about identification, if you will, and protection and provision. It's like God, in a sense, stamps us. We're his for all eternity. And then it says night will be no more. We talked about that last week, as well as the fact they need not the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will shine on them he will give us His light. He will enlighten us. And here again, they will reign forever and ever. We will rule. We will lead. That is our eternal purpose. That was the purpose that God had designed for Adam and Eve in the garden. To have dominion over creation. When sin entered in, we lost the ability to be able to rule and reign and lead as God always intended for us to be able to do. But in the eternal state, that will be our purpose. We will worship Him. We will worship Him through service. We are also, the eternal state's going to be a place of learning. See, when we get to heaven, it's not like, I mean, certainly there's going to be some things we're going to automatically go, oh, okay. But there's going to be other things that we continue to learn and grow in throughout eternity. So again, when Christians are like, what are we going to do for all of eternity? Well, we're going to do a lot. We're going to explore. We're going to worship. We're going to serve. We're going to learn. And we're going to rule. And we're going to administrate. And we're going to lead. We're going to do all these things forever and ever. And so the first things that John wants to leave us with are these truths. Provision, dependence, and purpose sort of summarize the first five verses of this last chapter. Let's move to verses 6 and 7. Three other words I want to give you to describe these verses. The first word is certainty. Certainty. Notice in verse 6, Then the angel said to me, These words are reliable, trustworthy, dependable, and true. 
See, he's talking here about the certainty of what is going to take place. We can be certain of this. We can stake our life on this. We can be sure of this. Because God's word is reliable and it is true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, he inspired them to write all these things. And he has sent his angel to show, to teach his servants what must happen soon. Next word after certainty, suddenness. Suddenness. Because the word soon has been misinterpreted and and misunderstood throughout the centuries. Many people think that when they read the word soon in English, that that, you know, meant, well, why, why is God taking so long? If he said a couple thousand years ago that he was going to, these things were going to happen soon and we're still here. But see, the word soon in the Greek language really doesn't have that concept of soon as we know it in English. It's more the meaning of sudden. In other words, what God is saying is when these things happen, it will be sudden that they happen. There's not going to be any, like, when God tells Jesus, go, it happens, the Bible says, in a twinkling of an eye. In other words, so that's why Jesus, throughout the Gospels, when he would be teaching his followers about, you know, how we should live at all times, he says, look, you don't know when these things are going to happen. So you need to always be ready. You need to always be alert and watchful and on your spiritual toes and on top of your game spiritually because he says these things will happen suddenly. That's what the word means. In other words, we're not going to have time to sort of get our act together once this all starts to happen. And that's the concept that John wants to leave us with. We can be certain and we can also be certain about the suddenness of these things happening. And then the final word in this group of verses, attentiveness, attentiveness. Notice in verse seven, look, pay attention. I am coming soon, suddenly. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy expressed in this book. The word keep here, as well as the word look in verse seven, speaks about being attentive at all times. Again, alert, watchful, on our toes, attentive to the words of the prophecies expressed in this book. And I want you to remember the word, word, even though that's not one of the 15 words, because we're going to come back to the importance of that word later on. So the second coupling of words here is certainty, suddenness, and attentiveness. And those are the words that summarize verses 6 and 7. Then we move to verse 8. And in verse 8, notice, I, John, the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I threw myself down to worship at the feet of the angel who was showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do this. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who obey the words of this book. Worship God. It's what we've been talking about since day one of our study of Revelation, that this was going to be a study of Revelation, not so much concentrating on the prophecies, but concentrating on what I believe the key of this whole book is, and that is the whole book is wanting to to encourage us, to inspire us, to motivate us to worship. And this word worship, unlike the other word up in verse 3 that we've already looked at, latru, is a different word for worship. 
It's the word we've used mostly throughout our study of Revelation, which speaks about one who falls upon one's knees as an expression of profound reverence and respect. That's what the heart of worship is all about. And that's what the book of Revelation has been all about. Worship. To to reveal to us who Jesus Christ really is. Who God is. What God's great design and plan for the universe is. What His future destiny that He has planned for us is. And in all of that, all this revelation was designed to bring all of us to a place where we would be willing to worship God. And again, so we need to grow in our reverence and respect for God. And somehow that reverence and respect needs to be fleshed out every day of our lives. We need to be conscious, if you will, and even back to the other word, attentive as to how are we expressing our reverence and respect for God in the way we live our lives. Worship God is what the whole book has been about. So worship, the first word in the third coupling of words. The second word, witness. Because notice what he tells John. He says, do not do this, verse 9, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who obey the words of this book, worship God. Then he said to me, do not seal up the words. Do not conceal. Do not hide the words of the prophecy contained in this book. Because the time is near. In other words, share it. Witness about these things. Get out there and tell others about what this book is about. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't hide it. Don't conceal it. Share it. Witness what is contained in this book. And then this word. The next word that ends the third coupling is a word, I want to use this word, unalterable. Unalterable. This word is going to sum up this concept that John is revealing to us in verse 11 that has caused a lot of people confusion over the years as to what is John trying to get across at this point. Notice here though, he's building on something in the third coupling. He wants, he's calling us to worship. And then he says, don't hide these things. Share them. Here's why. It's very important. Because when we get to the eternal state, the state that we find ourselves in when we enter eternity is unalterable. We are locked into that state for all of eternity. So share. Because once people get to the eternal state, it's too late. There are no second chances as far as the Bible is concerned. There is no place called purgatory that somehow, you know, things can be further worked out. No. Listen to the words in verse 11. The evildoer must continue to do evil. The one who is morally filthy must continue to be filthy. The one who is righteous must continue to act righteously. And the one who is holy must continue to be holy. God here is describing the unalterableness of the eternal state. And don't miss the power of what God is saying here. Think about this. The person who goes out into eternity without Christ and who's angry 
is going to be eternally angry. In fact, his anger, her anger, will only grow throughout eternity. In that sense. There's no possibility of change or transformation. We may not like change down here on earth. You know, we like things sort of the way we like them. But the blessing that God has for us now is that we have on earth the possibility of change, the possibility of transformation, the possibility of being a new creation in Christ. When we get to heaven, that possibility is taken away. Once we get there, then the way we are when we enter there is locked in for all of eternity. Think about the person who's, say again, out into eternity without Christ, who's greedy. They will be greedy for all of eternity and they won't have any way of satisfying their greed for all of eternity. How frustrating will that be? See, that's what he's teaching in verse 11 here. Now again, the opposite of that is true as well, as he says here. The one who goes out into eternity, you know, in a positive way, that's the way it'll be. And and I want you to, to maybe help solidify this, because this is how I learned it years ago, use the comparison, not that it's a perfect comparison or parallel, but use the comparison of what God is teaching here about humanity with the angelic realm. There was a time where God gave the angels a choice. When Lucifer rose up in rebellion against God, He gave the angels a choice. But the Bible also clearly teaches once the angels made that choice, whether it was to stay and serve and worship God, like obviously Michael and Gabriel Gabriel and other angels did, or whether it was like Lucifer and all of the demons who followed him, once they made that choice, they were locked into that choice for all of eternity, and that choice then was unalterable. It could not change. In other words, there's no such thing as a demon somewhere in history going, uh, God, I, I think I made a mistake. Can I, you know, can we change now? No. No. And God does the same thing pretty much with humanity. A little bit different, but the same concept in that. Does God give humanity a free will? Absolutely. I believe the Bible teaches free will. Man has a choice. But here's where the sovereignty of God also falls side by side the free will of man. And why they're not mutually exclusive. They actually are beautifully paired together. Because though God gives man a choice... Once man makes that choice, and once that choice has been locked in, if you will, that choice is unalterable, you see. That choice is locked in for all of eternity. And there's no possibility of change at that point. So that's a powerful concept. The unalterableness of eternity. We can change now, and glory to God, we can change. Or I should say, God can change us. But once eternity comes, the possibility of transformation and change is gone. No second chances, no do-overs, no spiritual mulligans. Those things don't exist in the Bible, okay? All right, let's move on. The fourth coupling begins in verse 12. 
And the first word here is the word accounting. Accounting. Notice in verse 12. Look. Again, pay attention. He says this three times in chapter 22. I am coming soon and my reward is with me to pay each one according to what he's done. The word reward, the words pay, talk about an accounting. And it doesn't have to be obviously a negative. It can be positive. It can be both. Obviously, there's going to be a negative accounting for those who don't know Christ. And there can even be a negative accounting to some degree, even for Christians that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 3, who are saved, but yet as by fire. In other words, they have nothing or very little to show for their Christian life because all that they worked for, if you will, is going to be burned up in the testing of God's consuming fire. But there can also be a good accounting, which is why the word reward can be a positive thing. That as we have been faithful, as we have served, as we have worshipped, as we have witnessed, as we have lived out our Christian life, God is going to account to us and give us what is due and reward us with roles and responsibilities and all of that throughout eternity that match our faithfulness. This is what Jesus taught in many of the parables that he taught his followers in the Gospels. So, Accounting is a key word here. The next word is accessibility. Notice he says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so they can have access to the tree of life and also can enter into the city by the gates, go in and out. So notice how accessible everything can be for some. Hopefully you and I. But notice verse 15, outside, in other words, without access, are the dogs. Sorry. Now this, this does not teach that there are no dogs in heaven. <laughs> let, me, let me say that. In, in biblical times, though, dogs were not looked upon like they are by many today. Dogs were roamed around the cities and caused a lot of problems, and they were looked down on. So he's obviously describing people here but he's using the term dogs. He says, outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. He's simply dividing and saying, look, it's not that, that there's different, or how do I say, more than two different groupings, if you will, when it all is said and done. You, you and I either have access to all the blessings and all the glory and all that God has described, or we don't have access. But the whole concept here in these verses are talking about accessibility or lack of it, which is why the word access is a key word, and even the word outside, which literally means without access. Some are going to have access to all these wonderful things throughout eternity. Others will never have access. And so it just reminds us again of the privilege of having access throughout eternity to all the wonderful things God has for us. And we're going to talk more about this wonderful privilege even on Sunday in our study of the book of Romans in Romans chapter 5. Then, the final word in this grouping, authority. Notice verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things For the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David and the bright and morning star. I, Jesus, 
my authority. Going back even to the first chapter, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I have stamped this message with my own authority. And where am I sending this? To the churches. To the church. The churches are the priority of Jesus Christ. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. By the way, a root is something underground that you can't see. The morning star is something everyone can see. And so notice in this contrast that Jesus is giving, describing himself, that in a sense he's describing his humble uh, way of coming into the world as a human being through the line of David. But then he's also reminding us that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God, and he's the bright and morning star. He's both humanity and deity in that way. And because he was the root of David, many people did not see who he truly was. But as the bright and morning star who one day will be revealed to the whole world, everyone will see the glory of Christ at that point. And his authority to say and do what he wants to do. The final grouping of three, verse 17 through 21, begins with the word invitation. One of the final things God wants to make sure that man gets is that God is inviting man to come to him. Notice, he says, And the Spirit and the Bride of Christ say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who's thirsty, who's parched, who's who knows that they are lacking something in their life and they're looking for spiritual refreshment. Come, let the one who wants it take the water of life free of charge as a gift. All we have to do is accept the invitation. And God here at the very end of His Word is giving man the invitation. Come. This word reminds us of the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. Come! The message of God to mankind is come. He invites us to come. And notice... It's free of charge, all these wonderful things, but we've got to receive it as we talked about Sunday. We've got to reach out and grab it and grasp it and receive it unto ourselves. We can't just merely intellectually ascend to it. We can't passively sit back and just somehow try to absorb it. It literally becomes the way we live and it becomes our life when we receive it that way. And that's the message. It's an invitation. The second though, is a warning. Notice he says in verse 18, I testify to the one who hears the words. And again, I'm coming back to that because I want to reinforce why we do what we do at the Oasis. Why do we study books of the Bible? Well, first of all, I think it's the best way to learn and understand the Bible is book by book. Look, the Bible can be daunting if taken as a whole. It's like the old saying, you know, if you want to eat an elephant, then just do it one bite at a time. And for many people, especially new believers or people that have never really gotten in and studied the Bible, these 66 books can be overwhelming. So what I encourage people to do is, look, take it one book at a time. Just take a book, start with one book, 
and just start going through and reading that one book and maybe studying that one book. And then once you've got a little bit familiar with that, then move on to another book. But don't try to absorb it all at the same time. That's why I think a lot of even Christians give up on their Bible study and their understanding of God's Word as far as a comprehensive understanding. But, but here's what I want you to see too. Why do we concentrate on the words? Because notice what he's saying here. It's a warning not to mess with even the specific words of the prophecy contained in this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life. He's not going to take away his salvation. That's not what it's talking about. Take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. The point I want to make is this. John is emphasizing here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit how important every word is to God. Every word, the Bible says, is inspired by God. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is purified. The Bible talks about the importance of every word. So when people are very flippant about the words even, that can lead to a lot of danger and a lot of spiritual disaster. In fact, Jesus even went even further and said, even the jot and tittle, even the accent marks are important. Don't mess with God's word. Don't add a word. Don't subtract a word. Because when God gave his word... Every word that God gave had a purpose for it. Every word had meaning to it. Or else God wouldn't have breathed it. And the Bible teaches that this word is God-breathed. It is inspired by God. And God doesn't waste His words. Every word. When people ask me, Jeff, how do you study the Bible? I say, I study it word by word. I literally sit down and pull every word out and take it that slow. Yeah, it's tedious, but I don't want to miss a word. Sometimes, just to encourage you, the key to understanding a whole passage of Scripture can actually fall on the understanding of one word. One key word might unlock something for you that you wouldn't get by passing over the word. And I think part of our problem today is we are in such a hurry to do our spiritual duty about getting into the word and doing our devotions, if you will, that we rush through it and we miss so much of what God has for us in each and every word. Again, I want to say to you all, as your shepherd, I would encourage you that it would be better for you in your spiritual health and even in your relationship with God's Word to not try to bite off more than what you can chew a little bit each day. And, and if it's just a verse, better to sit down with one verse and really take every word to heart and meditate on every word and try to find the meaning of every word than to read a whole chapter, leave your house for the day and go to work and not really have gotten anything out of that chapter that's going to stick with you or stay with you. 
And that's what John is reminding us of here, the importance of every word. And he's giving people a warning. Don't mess with the word of God. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Because God doesn't take too kindly to people messing with his word. But the final message, the final thing, the final word is a word of assurance. Assurance, the final word. So let me go back before I wrap this up. Just so you, if you're, you want to get all these words, let's go back. Provision, dependence, and purpose were the first three. Then the next three, certainty, suddenness, attentiveness. The third three, worship, witness, unalterable. The fourth three, accounting, accessibility, authority. And the final three, invitation, warning, and assurance. And notice the assurance in verse 20 and 21. The one who testifies to these things says, yes. The word means truly. In other words, this is really going to happen. I am coming soon. That's an assurance. Jesus says, I am coming without delay. In other words, in God's timetable, when it's time, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. I mean, it could happen before we end the night. It, it can happen that suddenly. And so Jesus wants to give his people an assurance. Notice the other assurance here. First of all, I love this. After Jesus says, yes, I'm coming soon. What's the next? Amen. So be it. Come, Lord Jesus. Make your appearance. We'll be happy with that. And then the final verse of the Bible is an assurance as well. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. The supernatural provision of our Lord Jesus. And, and the word all here, don't miss the fact that in that word, that little word, that word all means each and every one is what that word means. That the supernatural provision of the Lord Jesus Himself is for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us has the resource of Jesus' supernatural provision to live with. The last word of the Bible is grace. That's the last word. God wants us to live in His grace. God wants us to leave the earth in His grace. It's all about His grace and the assurance that he gives us from this great book i hope you've enjoyed the study of revelation as much as i have let's close in a word of prayer father god we thank you for the message of this unbelievable ending to your word there could be no greater way to wrap up the entirety of scripture that would have done any more than this great book of Revelation. We thank You, God, for being with us. Your Holy Spirit being our, our teacher these last 22 weeks together. And I pray, God, that the things that these folks have, have learned, have, have seen in, in this book, Lord, would stick with them, would stay with them, would, would inspire them and, and motivate them, Lord, in their worship, in their life, in their service, in their spiritual growth in their understanding of Your Word, in their relationship with Your Word. God, use this book. Continue to use it, Lord, in our lives. 
Help us, Lord, as we have been challenged tonight, not to hide it, not to seal it up, not to conceal it, but to share it, to witness to others the things that are contained in this book. Lord, because you say that the time is going to come suddenly when you come back and things are going to change. But when they change that time, then there will be no more opportunity for change. So God, I pray that we would also understand that this book is reminding us of the sense of urgency that we should live with. How quickly our life goes by. That our life is but a vapor that appears for a little bit of time and then vanishes away for all of eternity. God, help us to teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. And truly live for you every day, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before I let you go, uh, I want to throw this out tonight. and we're, Lisa and I are going to be throwing this out for the next couple of weeks because it's coming soon. We, we really don't like the fact that we are shutting down our Tuesday night Bible study for four weeks. And Lisa and I, we have a heart of... of truly wanting to get to know people better and to open up our home. And you obviously know I I love to teach the Word every opportunity I can get. So here's what we're going to do this summer, and we're going to see how it works. Don't know how many people are going to take us up on it, and that's okay. We just want to offer it to anybody and everybody that wants to. Four Thursdays, and this is going to be on Thursday nights, not Tuesday nights. Beginning on Thursday, June the 26th, So it'll be Thursday, June 26th, Thursday, July the 3rd, Thursday, July the 10th, and Thursday, July the 17th. Those four Thursdays, sort of filling in the gap of some of the Tuesdays we're going to miss throughout summer. We want anybody and everybody who can make it out to our house on Thursday evening at 7 o'clock to come out for a four-week home Bible study. And we're going to dive in for four weeks to the book of Ezekiel. And I'm just excited about the things that that God has laid on my heart to share with those that can make it those four Thursdays. Our plan is this. We want to start right at 7 o'clock, because obviously if it's on a Thursday, that means people got to get up the next day on Friday, except for maybe the 4th of July, and get up and go to work. So we're going to start it right at 7 o'clock, go to 8 o'clock, then we're going to have refreshments every week, And if you want to hang around till 8.30, whatever, we understand that even if you do that and drive back, say, a half an hour back to civilization from Gold Canyon to your house, you're still going to get home about 9 o'clock on Thursday night. So if any of you would be interested in that, again, we would love to have anybody that can make it. And we understand, first of all, it's summer, all this kind of stuff. That's why we're going, you know what, we're just going to open it up to see who comes. If we have five or we have 50, we'll figure it out. But we want to open it up and just say we want to have a home Bible study for a couple weeks in this sort of gap of not being able to get together on Tuesday nights throughout the summer. And so if you're interested in that, starting on Sunday, we're going to have a sign-up sheet. And if you're interested in coming, then once you write your name on that sign-up sheet, my wife will make sure that she gets to you the dates, our address, the gate code to get in and all those particulars as far as how to get out there and be a part of that. But we wanted to begin letting you know because it's only two weeks from this coming Thursday that the first one starts on June 26th. 
So anyway, wanted to let you guys know about that as soon as possible. Thanks, guys, for being here tonight. Have a rest of the, great rest of the week. We'll see you on Sunday.